God's blessings be with you. We are starting a new sermon series. It's called Old School Rhythms. So historically, God, in his relationship with his people and in his covenant, he tends to teach and guide his people to have the rhythms of life that are healthy and that are important for the people of God in order to live with God in relationship. And each one of us have that in each of our families. Our families taught us some kind of rhythms of life in how we ought to have relationship with our siblings and with our parents. So we all have a tendency. Some of you, you probably live in a household that you actually walk to the house and you, took, you take your shoes out and then you walk in. That's a rhythm, right? That's, like, that's a pattern of how that household operates and manage cleanness in that house. Some of you, you teach your kids, do not eat in front of people. Do not, you know, just chew your thing and talk while you are chewing something, right? You're like, that's ridiculous, son. Don't do that. First eat, cover your mouth, and then talk, right? That's life rhythm. Or we teach our kids to go to bed at 8 o'clock or at 7 a.m. That's the rhythm of life. God, in his relationship with his people, he guides us in this particular rhythms. So in this reading that we read today, today we were gonna particularly going to focus on worship and what worship means. But in this reading that just Pastor Josh read for us today, the people of Israel were under the slavery of the Egyptians for 450 years. So their pattern and their rhythm of life has been interrupted real bad. So they don't know how to properly worship their God. So their God is rescuing them from the bondage of Pharaoh. They were being delivered from the slavery of Egypt. And as they were getting rescued on their way to the promised land, God was guiding his people and saying, do not be like other people. I am leading you to worship. And worship is going to be important. And the person you worship is God alone. And the way you worship him is this. And this is how you ought to live your lives in order for you to experience the joy that God gives to humanity that you've never get to experience during your slavery. That was the reading. Right? Somewhere. Pretty much somewhere. Yeah, cool. Um... But then the scripture has continuously trained and educated the people of Israel to learn how to worship, to learn to avoid worshiping other things, but to focus in worshiping the God, the maker of heaven and earth, and the one who is rescuing them out of slavery from Egypt. So the Psalms, in the book of Psalm, chapter 95, he starts singing the song of worship, and he kept saying, let us come. Let us come. And he started calling others, O come. The Latin ver version of that is called Venita. Venita is O come. Let us come and worship our God, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who runs the whole entire universe, the God who made the stars and the sun, the God who governs the physics of this earth, the God who is the Lord of the seas and the oceans, the God who made the boundary between the oceans and the ground, the God who created the continental shelves, make sure the oceans do not overrun the land, the God who rules this whole entire existence of our universe, let us come and worship him. That's the calling. So we, as a church, we're going to keep going back to that rhythm of life and learn how to worship. So today, we're going to focus on three things. What is worship? Why should we worship? And how can we get better at worship? So first, let's start with what we worship. Why, what is worship? 
worship is this? It's the act of ascribing ultimate value to something in such a way that engages your whole being, your will, your mind, and your emotion. So I'll repeat it again. The act of ascribing an ultimate value to something in such a way that engages your whole being. So to focus and then to meditate and to worship and to give thanks all that you with all that you have with your will with your mind and with your emotion so what is worship part of worship is we sing aloud right we were just singing a few minutes ago that's part of worship that's part of our emotion our emotion is engaged we look at our god in his beauty and his power his mercy and his forgiveness and we say Lord, we give thanks to you. We shout in the, in the organ. We shout in the piano. We shout through our guitar, our sound. Even terrible singers like me, we will sing super loud because that's our emotion is engaged with the beauty of our God. But also part of worship is we worship with our will, with our submission. We submit to God and to the truth of God that our God is the only true God. Our God is the beginning and the end. He is the Alpha and Omega. He's the author of our lives. So for this, we submit not only with our emotion, but we bow down in His presence for He is big and king of all. So we bow down to him. So it's not only our emotion that is getting engaged, but our will also. We say, I am Dawit, but I am broken. I am a human. I am destined to die. I am a fallen nature. So I will bow down to the eternal God. That's then our will. But then also we engage in worship with our mind. We reason with things. We reason by hearing God's voice. We reason by reading the scripture, by learning what the Bible says about the God who created us, what the Bible says about us who've been created by him. We read about the Christ Jesus who died in the cross 2,000 years ago. We read and reason about his resurrection from the dead. We read and reason about of who our God is and how he became human for the sake of our salvation. So we worship through our mind, through our will, and through our emotion. Worship is an engagement of our whole entire being, for our God is the author of our lives. We worship in such a way, and that is worship. Worship is something that takes your breath away, that engages your whole entire being to the King of kings, to the Lord of lords, to the God who died and rose from the dead for you. To the God who rescued you and gave you an identity and meaning. And the God who will raise you back from the dead. Who will give you an eternal life. We worship that. In the setting of worship, when we get together as a community of God, we'll talk about it a little bit later. What actually takes about, what takes place in that corporate gathering. But let me just conclude one part. What's worship? Worship is an act of ascribing an ultimate value to something in such a way that engages your whole being, your mind, will, and emotion. So, worship should move your emotion, should direct your will, and should teach and guide you in what kind of person you ought to be here on earth. All of the emotion, all of the worship, all of the songs and all the shout that we do when we sing and give glory to God, if that does not transform our lives, then something is missing in our worship. We don't come to church and say, 
I've been doing my thing for six days. Let me go sing a little bit, a little bit to God. Find something in my pocket like, oh, $5, put it in my, in my offering. I did my thing, let me go and do my other thing again. And back to, that's not worship. Worship is meant to engage our whole entire being on a day-to-day basis. So for that, the way we sing is not the focal point of our worship. We can sing aloud, we can sing slow, we can sing with the organ, we can sing with the keyboard. That's not the main aspect of our worship. Our worship is when our will, when our emotion, and when our mind is engaged. Hey, if you have your Bibles like in front of your pews, or you can take off your phone, you can Google this, you can write Psalm chapter 95. In Psalm 95, the scripture just engages us in this way that leads us to this aspect of worship. Check this out. If you open up your Bible to Psalm chapter 95, if you put ESF, ESV version or NIV, it's okay. But just follow with me on this particular. This is the psalm singing, the song leading the people of God to worship. He says, come, let us sing of joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is great God, the great king above all gods. In his hands are the depth of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. We'll stop there. So the psalmist is calling this people to say come let us worship why because our God should take our breath away he is the rock of our lives so let me give you this illustration imagine a woman that have this amazing piece of jewelry that she received from her mom and her mom received it from her own mother and then this piece of jewelry was in some kind of drawer most of the time nobody knows where the jewelry is but then one day she was cleaning and she found this jewelry and she says, you know what, let me take it and then see if, you know, the, the jewelry people can see how much this thing worth. And she took it to this jewelry place. And the guy, I don't know what the terminology is, but you know that thingy that they put in their eyes? Have you seen those jewelry people? If you, dude, this, that's amazing thing, by the way. That's how they know how much anything worth. And this guy is using his eye thingy. I don't know what it is. Does anybody know what that thing is called? Nobody knows. Nobody Anybody online? Nobody. Okay. So the jeweler took this thing and he started looking at it and he started glazing at it and he noticed the, the facets that reflects the light. He noticed the color, the texture. And a bit by bit, he's looking at it and thinking about it. And after several minutes, his eyes start taking, like almost like popping out of him. He's freaking out. Almost wanting to faint. Because he realized this is some lost, ancient, unique, piece of jewelry that crafts in which it was made and vanquished from the face of the earth and nobody knows how to make it anymore and this guy is dying he's like are you kidding me you had this in your drawer this was in your bathroom drawer right and this particular thing is blowing 
the mind of the jeweler, right? It's blowing the mind of the jeweler. It's engaging his, his emotion. It's engaging his will. And it's also engaging his mind. It's engaging everything of him. And he's looking at it saying, wow. He says, if you sell this to me, my life will change. But also, your life will change. And the woman is looking at this jewelry. She had no idea. She was having, she had this incredible jewelry in her house that could drastically change her life forever. But now she finds out. You see, the psalmist is telling us to do that with God. He's saying, go and pay attention to God. You have no idea what you have. You have no idea the king of the universe is yours. He lives in you and remains in you. And the king of the universe wants to give you himself. You have no idea the kind of jewelry you have in your hands. Your baptism is something that should ignite your whole entire emotion, will and mind. You must engage with God to see how beautiful and how kind, how saving, how glorious your God is. And this such thing should completely and drastically change your life over a period of time until you see him face to face. But remember, you are a Christian. What you have in you is beyond your imagination. The altar of life is your king and you've been baptized into his name. That's who you are. So, but many of us in America, according to the, the statistics of the, the whole entire sociological uh, science in America, 85% Americans describe themselves as Christians. But many live their lives completely unaffected, completely unimpacted by who God is. Are you that? I want to invite you to this. Your God is not calling you to worship saying, clean up your life, clean up your mess, and come to me. No, no, your God is saying, I am yours. Take time to look at me. And I am the jewelry that will transform your life and that will give you an everlasting hope. That's who your God is. That's who our God is. Worship comes from an old English word called worth-ship. We worship because our God is worthy of worship. So as I'm going to my second point, the difference between a common person, I'm not like under, I'm not like downgrading average person, but I'm, I'm talking about a, the difference between a common person and a worshiper or a Christian worshiper person. It's not, it's not about whether they go to on Sunday worship or not. The difference is we all worship. We just may not be worshiping the right God. Everybody worship. The difference is not, I worship and just don't worship. That's not the thing. We all worship something. But the gospel is calling us that we may worship the right thing instead of worshiping the devastating thing that will definitely fail us in life. That takes me to my second point. Second point is, why should we worship? The reason why we worship is because we're already worshiping something. No one is off the hook. We all worship something. Either we worship love, or we worship money, we worship our family, we worship our children, we worship our country, 
We worship our politics. We worship our surrounding. We worship our wealth. We worship our health. There's something we all worship. There's something that captivates our hearts. And if we lose it, we lose our mind over it. I, my first job in America was, I worked at 7-Eleven. It's a typical immigrant story, you know. Um, you got to start with 7-Eleven. And we had lottery. So this guy who came every day bought a lottery. Every day. He's like, today's my lucky day. I'm like, today's your lucky day. You know, I sell him the thing. He leaves. Comes back. Not lucky day yesterday, but maybe today. I'm like, cool. So I sell him the thing. One time. He bought one of those lottery, and I, do, I don't know how lotteries operate. They just taught me how to press the buttons and print things out. And one day he came, and I think he missed a very, very, very big lottery by one number. He was not just devastated. He, he almost kneeled down on the, in front of the register. Absolutely crushed. Because this guy, for some reason... He was really looking forward to it. That was something his heart desired the most. And he didn't get it. Many of us, if our health gets in danger. By the way, have you had some kind of like health issues and you went online and you Googled it? Like, have you done that? Like, like what's like, like what's it called? Like MD, MD.com or something? And you Google it and it's like, oh, your heart is probably failing. You're like, holy smokes, I'm dying. And you're like, I love you, everybody. Baby, I love you. I left everything for you, whatever, right? And then all of a sudden, you find out that he was just, he just ate something stupid, and that's why the reaction is there. I hate Googling things. That's why now I'm, I'm getting better at actually going to my real doctor because I wasn't like that. I'm like, I could Google everything, but Google is scary. It gives you like 500 options of what potentially is happening to you, and the top 400 is a disease that can potentially kill you. Why would I Google that, right? But then you can tell how scary it is because sometimes we worship our health. Sometimes we worship our relationship. We don't like our relationship to break apart. Sometimes we worship our children. We want our children to be a certain way, and when they don't turn out to be that way, we freak out. We just want to die. We worship regardless. Everybody worships whether you believe in God or not. Harry Potter, you know, that thing, if you're like immigrant, like, we don't watch things like that, by the way. So, but a lot of my friends, they're like, dude, come on, Dawid, you got to watch it. So I watched the first movie. I almost freaked out, by the way. But in that first movie, there was a, a mirror called um, Erased. Mirror Erased. That's the name of the mirror. I could be wrong. Please correct me later. But the, the mirror, is, the name of the mirror is Mirror Erased. The way Erased is... It's the like backward of spelling desire, right? So Harry went to the mirror and he looked at the mirror. Boom, he saw his parents. His parents died when he was an infant. And his parents were saying, I love you, Harry. We're proud of you. We care for you. And he was just amazed by seeing his parents. And he went on and called his friend. He's like, dude, you got to come. Check this mirror out. And the dude came and he was like, Whoa, I look good. All of a sudden, the dude thought he became an athlete and he became this super, like, super amazing athlete. And he was like, bro, I don't know how this is, but I look amazing. And he's like, wait, can you see my parents? He's like, no. 
I see myself there, bro. I don't see your mom and dad. And then Harry came to the mirror, and he started seeing his parents. But one of his mentors came, and he told Harry. He says, no, this mirror is a mirror of desire. It's a mirror that actually shows you the depth of your desires. Harry, since he was a kid, he wants to see his parents. And that's what he saw. This guy, his friend, he wants to be a good athlete. That's what he saw. We all have deep desires in our hearts, and it becomes worship to us. So the gospel is calling you through the work of Christ Jesus that you may worship the true God because everything else we worship will fail us. And everything we worship will destroy us. I'm not saying we should not love our children. I'm not saying we should not love our career. I'm not saying we should not love our home and our friends. But they, they do not worth our worship because to worship is to submit in, through your emotion, through your will, and through your mind to the only true God that will give you life and joy that will transform your mind. So, as a Christian today and as a body of Christ here, brothers and sisters, we are invited to repentance. We are invited to say, Lord, there are so many things I worship deep in my heart, and I am surrendering it to you. That's not my God. My family is not my God. My money is not my God. My home is not my God. My career is not my God. You are my God. You are the only one that is worth my worship. When I was a kid, the way the place I grew up in, my parents, my dad, when I was five years old, he got, he was forced to be retired from his job. And my older brother took the responsibility of caring for a family and our finances. But you could tell my dad was hurt a little bit that he was not the man that used to provide before. I sensed it when I was six, seven years old. And my whole desire in life was, I am going to do good in school and work. And one day, I'm going to take care of my parents. I'm going to buy them whatever they want. I'm going to give my dad the money he needs. I'm going to make him feel like he's a man again. Then when I was 11, my dad died. You know, it took me seven years. And my mom died two years after. It took me seven years to find out how devastated I was because from a very young age, I desire to give my parents that all that I have. And the fact that they died early almost destroyed me. It almost sent me to a suicidal thoughts. Somehow at a very young age, the desire for me to do something good to my parents became my God. And when that God died, I wanted to die too. Many of us have deep desires. Some of you, the things that you worship the most probably died and it's probably taking you to hell right now. It's probably destroying you emotionally. It's destroying you mentally, destroying you spiritually because you are overwhelmed by the sadness of the death of your God. And some of you are probably worshiping and your God seems to be doing good right now. Your God will die too. <laughs> All our gods die. The one that does not die is the God 
of the universe, Yahweh, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died but rose from the dead. It is in Him that we put all our worship. It is in Him we put all our mind and our will to. I want to end with this, but how do we get better in worship? I'm going to give you these four things and I want to end with it. One is, to grow in worship, you need to be in a community. You cannot worship without being in a community. Yes, you cannot. You can worship individually, but your individual worship should lead you to the community of God to worship corporately. Because just remember that reading? Um, you don't have to go back, but let, let, keep, keep listening to the reading. Come, let us sing to the joy of the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before Him. It's a communal concept. We worship in the community of God among broken people, imperfect people, stubborn people, sinful people. We worship with them. We worship with diverse people that look different than us, that come from different backgrounds, and we worship together. We worship because each of our worship reflects the unity that we have with God. C.S. Lewis, the great philosopher, he, his name is Jack. I'm sure you know it, but his name is Jack. And he had a friend named Ronald and another friend named Charles. Then one time, Ronald died, right? When Ronald died, they were best friends. They, like, hung out every day. And Ronald died, and they were so devastated. They buried Ronald, and they're like, oh, at least I can hang out with Charles. Like, now I have Charles. Like, at least I, he could be with me. But one thing he noticed after, like, a few years was Charles is different when Ronald's not there. There's only part of Charles that comes out when Ronald is there. There's only part of Jack that comes out when Charles is there. When we hang out together, there's some part of us that comes out when one particular person is with us. When we worship together, we are much more complete than we can imagine. Because there's something about us that comes out when we are here together. Second, truth. Worship is done with truth. In America, we live in a world, everybody's like, you have your own truth, I have my own truth, you have your own truth, everybody has their own truth, and everybody does whatever they want, and then build your own God that fits you, worship the God. Hate to say this. Very stupid idea, by the way. If your God cannot challenge you, if your God cannot lead you to repentance, if your God cannot argue with you and bring you to some truth, He's not God. He's Pinocchio. He's made up. He's not a real God. A true relationship requires... Quick story before I end. My wife, her, 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 her mom and dad, her uncle, her brother, some cousin came to visit us five years ago. We had one bedroom apartment. I mean, kind of like a condo. Uh, right, next to, right next to Pastor Jack here. We lived across the street from each other. And they came to stay with us. They stayed with us for a month and a half. My wife was freaking out. She was like, yo, tell my parents to go home. I'm like, I'm not going to tell your parents to go home. What if they take you with them, you know? So back and forth, I'm like, babe, what's the problem? And she's like, bro, we can't even argue. And I'm like, that's true. We didn't argue for like a month and a half. It was like a perfect home because her parents were there, you know. You're like, hey, I love you, babe, you know. You say nothing. Because true relationship requires argument. True relationship requires convincing one another. A true relationship with our God is, He is God, the maker of heaven and earth. And He revealed Himself 
in his son, Jesus Christ. He died and rose from the dead. It is in him that we believe. He is the only true God. If he rose from the dead, everything he says in the Bible is true. If he did not raise from the dead, then everything in the Bible does not make sense at all. But he rose from the dead. For that, we worship in truth. We worship according to scripture, not according to our will or our mind. We worship in spirit. The Holy Spirit is what actually brings us and points us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is what actually convinces us to the work of Christ. The Holy Spirit is that what, the one that overwhelms our emotion and leads our hope. So we need the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is given to us in baptism, in the Word of God, and He's been poured over us over and over by the proclamation of the Gospel. Last but not least is, and again, something I must get better on, is we gospel. We, we have to have a gospel Sabbath rest. We rest. Today, all of you here are resting. I'm sure all of you here today, you could have done something else. You probably have some better thing to do than just sitting and listening to a pastor named Dawit Bokri. But today, what you're doing is you're worshiping, you're resting from all your good works and saying, Lord... Let this day be a day of rest for me and my family. And I will worship you in my rest because this is a tiny reflection of the rest God has prepared for us in heaven. One day, you will rest from all your headaches and your pain. You will rest from all your pain and suffering. One day, you will rest from all your troubles. But let a resting day or resting hour be a tiny reminder of how your God has prepared rest for you. That you will worship him forever in a fully restful environment. But until that day, may Christ Jesus our Lord, the resurrected King, preserve you in the true faith to life everlasting. Amen.